Antichrist and saying, there's your guy, there's your man, that's him. Listen to him, follow him. And they do signs and wonders that we're going to see in just a moment. But he will be a religious leader. Antichrist will be a political leader. But the false prophet will be a religious leader. Antichrist will successfully introduce a one-world economic system complete with the infamous mark of the beast on the hand or the forehead without which nobody will be able to buy or sell. This week, I'm watching the television, watching the news, and here comes a story about a chip that they had put into a hand. And they showed the x-ray, an x-ray showing the, the bones of the hand and the chip between the thumb and the first finger right there and was talking about how we're headed towards a cashless society well guess what john told us that 21 centuries ago that without the mark of the beast a mark on your hand or on your forehead you will not be able to participate in the economic system of the world you'll have to literally believe jehovah jireh to bring food to you or to make somehow a way to get to you he will appear on the world stage as a political leader. And Antichrist will successfully introduce a one-world economic system, complete with the mark of the beast, and it went backward for some reason. Now, here we go. He also will broker a much longed-for peace treaty between the Arabs and Israel. He will finally look at all the presidents that have tried it and look at the cry for peace in the Middle East that we're seeing right now. I mean, it's, it's just the need of the hour. And any politician that can pull it off is going to be famous, all caps. He will do it. No one will do it until Antichrist does it. For this, he'll be considered a political genius. He will be praised, and eventually he'll be worshipped. We also saw that he will receive a seeming death blow to the head, which he appears to miraculously recover from now next paul reveals the nature of this deceiver and let's look at it verse 4 of chapter 2 of second thessalonians who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is worshiped now here's the nature of antichrist he will eventually reach the place where he will not allow anything or any other God to be worshipped other than himself. And the word for oppose, now notice, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. The word for oppose means literally to lie opposite, to be averse, or to be repugnant to. See, when you say anti-Christ, it doesn't just mean somebody who is anti-Jesus, but it means somebody who is actively, aggressively, militantly opposed to Jesus, who hates Jesus, who will do everything in his power to overthrow every thought and memory of Jesus. The word signifies an adversary, an opposer, an adversary. So here we have the aim of the Antichrist. He is utterly opposed to Christ and everything that Christ represents. Do you feel the Antichrist afoot today? Did you ever think you would see the day that, that during Christmas there was such a battle over crosses and nativity scenes and saying the very word Christmas? Did you ever think you'd see it in America? I didn't. Why the issue? 
because it's a spirit. John told us that many antichrists are already in the world. It's a spirit, and it opposes actively the person of Christ and everything that he stands for, morally, ethically, spiritually, everything. Now, his aim will be to undermine all divine authority in human life and in society on this earth. Undermine it. He will be a rebel, consummately, by fully, not one atom of his being will be in submission to God. Even now we're witnessing an ever-increasing anti-Christian, humanistic, and atheistic surge in our culture. There were three best-selling books just last year by radically aggressive atheists. Bestsellers, New York Times. Doesn't bother me any. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. I welcome the debate. But I want you to notice that they sold enough books to be on the bestseller. That why in the world would people be getting that? Because it's a spirit that's moving in our country. And not just here, but in the world. And it's only going to increase. You can mark it down. Paul says that he also will exalt himself. That word exalt comes from a Greek word meaning to exalt exceedingly, abundantly. Conceit and arrogance will be his middle names. Okay, the multitudes, having rejected Christ and his gospel, will openly worship this man of sin. And not only will they do it, but he will require it. You think of Nebuchadnezzar, a sort of a foreshadowing, who had the statue of himself built and said, when the trumpets blow, I want you, to, everybody in this nation to bow down and worship the image of me. And he demanded worship. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no way. And they were thrown in the oven for it. That was a type and shadow of what was to come. So they will worship this man. Now Satan will present him to the world as the Christ of all the cults, the Messiah of the Jews, the Mahdi of Islam, the reincarnate Buddha, the Krishna of the Hindus, the incarnate God of this world. Whatever false religion you're in, he will be presented as the apex, the ultimate, the answer, the God of that religion. Religions will be combined into one world religion. Not just one world economic system, but one mystical, worldwide, antichrist religion. And I can see the stage for it being set up right now. This moment, today, read the paper, watch the news. Following the aim of the antichrist, which is to be exalted and worshipped, comes the claim of the antichrist. And this gets heavy. Look what it says. So that he sits as God. This is verse 4. He sits as God in the temple of God. And what does he do? Read it with me. Showing himself that he what? Notice, not that he knows God, not that he represents God, but that he is God. Can you imagine that? He will go into the temple. Now, notice this passage the temple of God. Where will he do this? He will sit as God in the temple of God. You know what that requires? This verse, along with Revelations 13, 11 through 18, makes clear that the Jews will without doubt one day rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. Revelation says it, and this passage says it. How can he sit in the temple of God unless it's been rebuilt? 
And there are many, many plans in Israel among many different groups to build that temple. And one day, that temple, the Old Testament temple, will be rebuilt. And he will one day, in the middle of the tribulation period, walk into it and go into the holy place and there tell the world, guess what? Not only do I know God, and am I your answer, but I am God. Now worship me. This verse shows it. And in the rebuilt temple, Antichrist will proclaim to the world that he is deity. Now the phrase showing himself, that he is God, showing himself, is the word demonstrate. Now this is important. It's in the continuous verb tense. And here's what this means. When something is in the continuous verb tense, it means it's an ongoing thing. So, I am ongoingly running. I am ongoingly walking. I am ongoingly working. He will ongoingly, it will be his modus operandi. Not just one day, but the rest of the days God allows him on the scene to say, I am God. It'll be his policy. Now at this point, Paul inserts a personal note to the Thessalonians. He reminds them of what they had forgotten. Something they'd forgotten. Now look at verse 5, chapter 2. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? Now he's, here's what he's saying. You have forgotten something, Thessalonians. What was it? No doubt Paul had covered a lot of ground while he was with the young church before being driven out of town. And he had taught them a lot. You talk about a walking seminary. Oh my. Oh my. Paul? He didn't just tell them, Jesus loves you, this I know. He taught them deep theology. He took them through some heavy stuff. And one of the things that Paul had shared with them was this, verse 6. You know what is restraining. Now watch the words carefully. What is restraining this appearance of Antichrist? You know that he's restrained. And I told you when I was with you, what would be restraining him? That he may be revealed in what? His own time. God has a timing for everything. God is a God of exquisite, perfect timing. So there's a timing. And until that time comes, Antichrist cannot be revealed. He cannot walk onto the world stage. So Paul reminds them of something we need to understand tonight. What is restraining us waking up tomorrow morning and reading in the paper of some individual rising on the world scene, stepping into Israel and, and forging a peace treaty and introducing a one-world currency? What is restraining him? They had forgotten that all these events were being restrained, held fast, deliberately and actively, and the reason for the restraint was so that Antichrist might not be revealed before the proper time. In other words, say this with me, God has everything under control. Are you ready? He does. Let's say it again, because some of you are wondering about that. Even the appearance of this wicked man, say it, God has everything under control. Say it with me, the devil is a dog on a leash. 
Now, I'm not belittling. Listen, I take the devil very seriously. But nevertheless, he is on the leash of God's sovereignty. He is. So, in the next verse, Paul tells us that the one, and notice I capitalized one, that the one holding back the Antichrist and unbridled lawlessness on this planet is the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank God for the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine being 30 minutes on this planet without the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity is already at work, Paul says. Only he who now restrains. Notice, he, proper noun, or pronoun, he, proper pronoun, capital H, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. There's a level of evil that cannot come forth until the restrainer is gone. Now the word mystery, let's just look at this passage, the mystery of iniquity. When you hear the word mystery in the Bible, it refers to a truth that once was hidden, but has now been revealed. There's about 12 mysteries in the New Testament. There's about 12 of them. The mystery of iniquity is the secret working of lawlessness. That's the mystery of iniquity. From the very beginning, it has been a goal of Satan and his wicked spirits in the heavenlies to overthrow God's purposes. From the very beginning, we meet the devil as soon as Adam and Eve are created. And how do we meet him? Slithering up to them to lie to them about the word of God and the character of God. What's he trying to do? Overthrow God's purposes. Because the mystery of iniquity was already afoot. So really, Eve, you believe all that? You believe that word? All they had to remember was a couple of verses. That's the only Bible they had. Don't eat that tree. But he was able to twist even that much word. What was he after? To overthrow the love of God's heart. The most beautiful part of his creation. So the mystery of iniquity goes all the way back to Satan going up into heaven and saying, I will overthrow God and I will be like the Most High. And he was cast down, became a disembodied spirit, and became the archenemy of God to this day. The mystery of iniquity used to be hidden, now it's revealed. Now, notice in the verse, the mystery of iniquity is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, he is the masculine, is used in the masculine in the Greek language. And it shows that the restrainer can be spoken of as a person. In other words, this restrainer that is restraining, that Paul's talking about, is not an it or a thing, but is a he. He gives it the masculine gender. Now, the only one who can restrain Satan and his angels is the Holy Spirit. And He's working, I mean, actively in our world today. It may not look like it, but the Holy Spirit is actively at work right now. And the instrument of that restraint, what the Holy Spirit has used throughout the ages, is, say it with me, the church. You say, well, not the church I see all, all the time. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, Jesus said this. Watch this. Jesus said, 
the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing can happen prophetically until a change occurs and the mighty power that is now restraining Satan is removed. Only he who now restrains will continue restraining appearance of Antichrist and evil going to a level that we cannot comprehend. The restrainer, you think it looks bad now. Wait till the church is gone. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. As long as the Holy Spirit and the church remain on earth, the day of grace continues. You can be saved right now. You can respond to Jesus right now. He's knocking on the door of your heart right now if you don't know him. The day of grace is here right now, but one day, church, the day of grace will be gone. I believe the last grains of sand are sifting through the hourglass of time. The last grains of the sand of the age of grace are sifting through the hourglass. Who knows how much is left? Not much. When the church is taken out of the way that is raptured, the way will be clear for Satan and the Antichrist to take over the world. But right now the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost on the church is restraining. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. What does salt do? It doesn't change anything. It puts off decay. It prolongs how long something can keep from being decayed. And the church right now, with the Holy Ghost among the church and in the church and coming through the church, is keeping this world from going into a level of satanic activity and moral rot that we cannot imagine. Restrainer. Now, during this awful time, after the church has been taken out, people are going to be left to learn for themselves what the world will be like once unrestrained wickedness is given full reign. It will be hell on earth. Read the book of Revelation. The seals, the trumpets, all the curses, all the judgments. Awful. The book of Revelation gives all the awful details. Although the Holy Spirit will no longer restrain the development of the mystery of iniquity, that does not mean that it will be impossible for people to be saved or that God will no longer have those on earth to bear witness to him. People will be saved during the tribulation period after the church is gone. But let's read on. Here's the truth. Millions of people will be saved after the rapture. We call them tribulation saints. They'll be saved after the rapture. Two witnesses... John tells us about in Revelations 11, along with 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. Can you imagine 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams preaching all over the earth? We'll reap a vast harvest. You can read about that harvest in Revelation 7, 1 through 17. Millions of people are going to be saved by the preaching of these individuals. These people will not be in the church because the church will be gone but they will be in the kingdom. And they will pay a high price for their confession of faith. Antichrist, according to many places in the Bible, will martyr millions of them. They'll be hunted. I got an iPad. Y'all gave me an iPad. You remember that? For my 40th anniversary. And I found this thing where you can punch a button and it's this global map and I can type in my home address. 
And all of a sudden, from the sky, there's my house. Even my little sidewalk in the back. Oh, there's my dog, Ollie. No, I'm kidding. Almost. And I look at that and I go, look how easy it is to track. And I think all this technology that's coming about, Antichrist will seize it for a season. And believers are going to be tracked. They'll be hunted and they'll be martyred. Not near as easy to be saved in that tribulation period as it is right now. Now next, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, moves the story on to the end and answers three questions concerning this diabolical man of sin. When, who, and why? First, he tells us when. Verse 8, And then the lawless one, then the lawless one, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now the Antichrist is going to have his apocalypse. That means unveiling. That's what the word means, to unveil, to reveal, to expose. So he will have his apocalypse, his unveiling, his revealing to the world after the church is gone. He's going to come on the scene. i got to pause here just for a minute and consider the power of the often maligned but God-appointed church. Can you read the verse with me? The gates of hell will not prevail against her. Imperfect as she is, Jesus is with her, the Holy Ghost is in her, the power of God is in her mouth. And when it's the real church, the true church, the blood-bought church, the Holy Spirit-filled church, the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Because I want you to think, people like us all over the world are, are the restrainers, the Holy Ghost in us, of great evil that will not be able to come upon this world until we are gone. And the dispensation of grace is over. Only when God's church is gone will Antichrist and Satan finally be freed to wreak their havoc unchecked. Now, C.S. Lewis, I love this description of, his, of the church that he gave us. He says, quote, Spread out through all time and space, rooted in eternity, as terrible as an army with banners, is the church. See, we're about to fast and pray. Satan's not afraid of you as a person. But you know, he doesn't like the idea at all that we're about to fast and pray and seek God. It's the Jesus in you that he fears. Amen? And I love giving Satan heaven. Because he always wants to give me All right. Though the Antichrist will reign... It'll only be for a brief season. The Holy Spirit reveals that, quote, here's what the Lord's going to do. Consume him with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy him with the brightness of his coming. He may be there for a brief season, and he will, but his day will end. His doom shall come. A sword from the Lord's mouth will slay him. Apparently, all Jesus is going to have to do is speak. Out of his mouth comes a double-edged sword. It's the word of God. Not only will Antichrist be consumed, but he will also be destroyed by the brightness of the Lord's coming. Before I read this, i got to tell you, today, Kathy and I have been in the same house 20 years. Um, 
we had this one closet where you couldn't see anything. The, the lighting was terrible. So finally, I had today David Hutto, where are you, David? Right here. Came out and put in new lights for us in our closet. And so he's, okay, I'm done. I went in there and it was almost like I needed sunglasses. It was so bright. But you know what, though? Then I see on the floor where the pets have been. Now, I don't mean, I mean the first one. Stains and stuff that I never saw until there was light. I almost wanted to say, David, undo it. Because, you know, with light comes exposure. And look what John Phillips writes. One glimpse of the brightness of his coming and all of the schemes and works of Antichrist will be brought to nothing. The brightness of the Lord's coming will reveal the tarnish, the tinsel, the grotesqueness, the ta tawdry shoddiness, the uselessness, the shame, the crime and guilt, and the cheapness of Satan's imitation Christ and his phony kingdom. And it is the light that will show it. Amen. The Apostle Paul has told us when, now he tells us who. Verses 9 and 10, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all righteousness deception among those who perish. All unrighteous deception among those who perish. Look at those words. Antichrist is going to perform signs, lying wonders, and have dunamis power on him, but not from God. He's literally describing here a satanic anointing. Not everything that has an anointing is of God. God is going to give Satan unhindered license to behave as he wants and will give him enough rope to hang himself. But watch this. He will give the sinner an unhindered opportunity to believe as he wants and will give him enough rope to damn himself. First, as did Christ, Antichrist will have a coming. He'll be revealed to his own. It says of Jesus, he came to his own, and his own received him not. Who were his own? The Jews. Here, who will be Antichrist's own? A godless world that has long since rejected Christ Jesus. Then his coming will be after the working the energeo, the energy, the anointing of Satan. Satan will introduce him on stage as the sealed judgments revealed in Revelations have reduced the world to chaos and they're clamoring and crying for a leader. That is when Satan will introduce him. And he'll come on the stage like Jesus came on the stage. It says he went into the wilderness led by the Spirit. It says he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Antichrist will come on the stage in the power of Satan's anointing. People will be eager to find a man able to bring order and sanity back to the world. Satan will clothe his man with power, signs, and lying wonders. And for a season, the Antichrist will be invincible. <clears throat> he will bring the entire world under his sway for a limited time, his personal charisma and political cunning will be enhanced by his power to work miracles. He'll dazzle the world, not just with oratory, but with lying signs, supernatural wonders.
ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, all tuned in. The word used for signs is the common word <coughs> that John used to describe the miracles performed by Christ. Same word. The lying signs the Antichrist will perform shall be intended to deceive, if possible, the very elect. Antichrist will also perform wonders. The word for wonder refers to something marvelous, something that produces a marked effect on those who witness the miracle. <clears throat> what is a sign? Points to something. What's a wonder? Something that makes you wonder. And he will perform signs that are supernatural and wonders that make people say, wow, he's our guy. Signs appeal to the intellect. Wonders appeal to the imagination. We have the when, and we have the who, and Paul next reveals why God will permit Satan this one brief hour of triumph. Read this carefully, and i got to tell you, this is so sobering to me. I hope an eternal hell is not real. I mean, I sure wish it weren't real. But I have to stay with the Word. And look what he says. Why will the Lord allow them to be deceived by this man? Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Don't tell me there's more than one way. Any old way will do. No. The love of the truth. Jesus brought us the truth. I'm the way, the truth, that they might be saved. Powerful verse. <clears throat> the cost of rejecting Christ Jesus is almost impossible to imagine. To reject his love and offer of salvation is to invite wrath and terrible deception. For those left behind, there's going to be a delusion. Look what he says in verse 11. For this reason that they rejected the truth, rejected Christ, God Himself will send them, read it with me, strong delusion. And that what will happen? Read it, that they should believe, not a lie, the lie. Delusion means literally to wander, to forsake the right path. It implies a departure from both sound doctrine and sound morals. Oh, look at our country today. And note that Paul calls it the lie, not just any lie. What is the lie? It is the ultimate lie that Antichrist is God. See, when you reject Christ, you open the door to deception. There's no other way around it. It's, it's, it's a law like gravity. To reject the truth is to open the door to a lie. But God says... I'll send them a strong delusion when they reject my son. It's a done deal. They've rejected him. So I'll let them worship a false god. And it will be a strong delusion. It will be the lie. And the world that has rejected Christ will actually come to believe that this man in the temple, calling himself as God, is indeed God. They'll believe it. It's called the strong delusion. It's a sobering fact that men are free to choose their own way. And God is free to confirm them 
in their delusions. Just before putting down his pen, the prophet Isaiah issued a warning from God. Listen to this. It's amazing. Quote, I also will choose, says God, their delusions. I, God, will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them. Why? Because when I called, not one of them answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Powerful. Before he rained down hell from heaven, upon that wicked people of Sodom, God first smote them with blindness. He blinded them. It'll be a blind world in the day of the tribulation. So will God do in the hour of Antichrist. They shall be struck with spiritual blindness, a strong delusion that they will believe the lie. He's God. Paul warns in Romans 1, 24 through 32, that a time comes in the personal history of an unbeliever when God gives him up. We don't hear preaching on this much anymore, do we? Because everybody's trying to tickle ears. But folks... This is the word of God as much as John 3, 16. And, and, and woe unto us if we don't tell the whole counsel of God. Look, at this is the counsel of God. It says that God gives, there comes a time, and only God knows that time, when God gives him up. God warns in Genesis 6, 3, my spirit is not always going to strive with man or any individual man. I found this anonymous poem, puts it this way. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary line between God's mercy, mercy and his wrath. There's a line. And one day some people, they make one more decision, they one more time reject him, and they cross a line. And God says, done. And what shall be the end result for those under this awful delusion? Paul says in verse 12, that they all may, may be, read it with me everyone, straight out of the Greek language, here it is, straight out of the Greek text, that they all may be, say it again, damned, who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The deluded will be comprised of those who had pleasure in unrighteousness. As Jesus said, they love the darkness more than they love the light. Now let me tell you the truth about people as we close tonight. You want to know the truth? This big influx of atheism we're seeing, let me tell you the truth about them. What I believe, and they may call me and want to debate with me, I would do it. It's great. Come on. But watch this. The ultimate reason people reject the truth is not mental. It's moral. Now let me read that again. They may come up with all kinds of highfalutin, intellectual arguments and disputes and debates and on and on. But the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. They have committed abominable things. That's moral. Now watch this. Let me read it again. The ultimate reason people reject the truth is not mental, but it's moral. It lies in man's love of sin and his pleasure in unrighteousness. He wants to do, she wants to do, they want to do 
what they want to do, when they want to do it, the way they want to do it. And they don't want the restraints of the Word or of God. It's moral. So if I choose to go, listen, a man's theology will always dictate his morality. Show me the way you live, and I'll show you the way you believe. So these people say, oh, you know, I believe in evolution, and I don't think that God created us, and, you know, they come up with all these different philosophies and think themselves into corners and give all these different reasons for not saying, I believe in God. But I tell you, the bottom line reason really is moral. They want to live a certain way, and they don't want God messing with their business, so they come up with all these intellectual arguments. Remember that. It's true. Next time, read it with me. God is still on His throne. So let's stand together, can we? <clears throat> and I know this was strong tonight. But you know what? It's only as strong as is the Word of God. The Word of God is salty. Amen? That's why this year we're going for as many souls as we possibly can in every way we can. We're going to see many, many people come to Christ.